right, as we fade into yet another Thursday at noon, for those of you watching live, this is Freightonomics, uh, the show slash podcast, depending on how you're watching, listening, uh, is the show that combines that economic information and combines it with the freight market and supply chain information uh, to explain what's happening in the world today. Uh, I am head of freight market intelligence, Zach Strickland, here at Freightways with me, chief economist, Anthony Smith. That's right. And I am going to be monitoring LinkedIn. So if you're indeed watching at 12 noon on this Thursday afternoon and you're on LinkedIn, you want to jump into the conversation, you can do that. Just leave a comment. You want to have a question for me, Zach, you have a comment on any of the stories, a hot take, you can join in and join the show and the conversation. Yeah. And I, I like to look at this show too, as a way to kind of get what's the most high level topical stuff. If you are in supply chain economics, you need to know the direction of, you know, where things are going. I like to kick things off. You know, if you're, if you're starting your week off, you know, this is the information you need yeah. to get going. You know, those Monday morning meetings can be a little bit of a slog at times. And it's like, well, What's going on around me? You know, you got all your numbers in your company, but what's going on outside of these walls and what my particular vision is? So one way I do that, Anthony, is by giving them a little bit of a two-minute update mm -hmm. and all the, uh, you know, market information that I think is interesting, at least for this period of time. It's not comprehensive by any means for that. You will have to, obviously, dig a little deeper uh, and get some, uh, a little bit more exposure to our, our information and sonar, but I do like to at least kick you off. That's right. And we're going to get it started in three, two, one, go. All right. Kicking things off like I told you I would for the foreseeable future. Outbound tender volume index. This is my demand side indicator uh, dramatically down. But we're starting to cross into a period where year over year comps are going to get a little bit easier, a little bit softer. Uh, you look at this spaghetti chart here. The yellow line you're looking at is the outbound tender volume index from last year. Uh, the green line is that of 2021, arguably no longer applicable outside of just saying, hey, this happened. <laughs> um, but as things get year over year, you're talking about these volumes dropping, you know, 15, 20 percent year over year now versus 30 percent, uh, which should happen moving forward uh, in the near term. However, if you're looking at week over week changes, a little bit of a downtick, but still not anything to be overly concerned about. Certainly not a market collapsing. We're right in line with where we were pre-pandemic for the time being, if not a little bit above. April, a soft month. Traditionally, this index looks like it's got a little bit of resilience into it as we have already started off the week or the month uh, of April. Easter coming up should have a little bit of a downturn in the next week, however. Let's go to the next one. Looking at OTRI versus NTI, our outbound tender rejection index versus spot rates, these are both continuing to deteriorate. April is supposed to be a soft month, and that is proving to be the case here. We thought we had hit a floor for the outbound tender rejection index of about 3.5% where it was hovering through the entirety of March until the last week of March, it decided to take another downtick. Spot rates there in the green line still coming down. This is a concern. We thought we had bottomed. Uh, in the spot market, how low can they get? The further down this index drops, the more below cost carriers are operating. Next, last but not least, the forecast chart here. NTI, there in white, NTIF in blue in the historical forecast in green. This chart we're going to talk about a little bit more in detail coming up, but the forecast looks like a bottom in April. 
Another two-minute drill here by Zach Strickland. And Zach, so continuing that thought, I mean, looking at where we are with spot ratings now, we're, we're hoping, of course, that we we're going to see a bottoming soon. Of course, the data is showing that there is still potentially more settled downward movement to ha be had here. I mean, what are we looking at when we're looking at spot rates and, of course, that expectation for contract rates? Yeah, I mean, if we want to go ahead and pull that chart back off, this is actually part of the newsonomics section that we were going to go through because I wrote a chart of the week about this exact chart last week because I find it to be very useful uh, when you're talking about what are we expecting for the next 28 days. We have a forecast algorithm here at Freightways called NTIF. <laughs> uh, it's a forecast of dry van spot rates, or our national truckload index, for 28 days. Uh, we keep a historical log available to Sonar subscribers to just show you how accurate have we been. You know, forecasts are imperfect. Uh, this one, however, uh, just historically speaking, if you look at the green line, that's the 28-day historical value. So 28 days out, that's what it was predicting. It's actually extraordinarily accurate outside of the holidays this year where it really kind of missed the mark in terms of predicting the nominal spot rate. Um, however, after coming back into alignment here, and you can read all the reasons for this, uh, you know, why that diverged and stuff on the Chart of the Week article uh, that I wrote this past week on Freightways.com. But it's the, the takeaway here for the near term is that all of these upstream variables that our data science team uh, and engineers have put together um, are showing a lot of downward pressure in April. And spot rates really haven't fallen that fast previously. So what this is telling me is that even though, you know, it may not fall to that level, to that extent, there's a lot of upstream reasons to think that capacity's going to be as available as it's ever been in the month of April. And, yeah. and at the very end, you see there's a little bit of an uptick. So that means these pressures alleviate 28 days out. And so when we're looking at this, Zach, I mean, this kind of goes back to, I think, the theme of the show of how applicable is history. And um, of course, the one that kind of pops into my head, of course, is going to be 2019 and the freight recession that we had then. I mean, we're looking at um, seemingly conditions that I think are weaker than what we saw during that time frame, especially we're looking at, um, we look at Otri below where we were then, capacity this being that loose. And of course, the other big thing is, I think throughout the pandemic, we were able to really hone in on efficiencies and doing more with, you know, seemingly less. And so now we've got more efficient and volumes have also come down. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, the, you know, to your point, how applicable is history? Um, some of the algorithm and, you know, that predicts this takes history into account. We call that seasonal pressure. Yeah. You know, April is a very seasonally soft month when we compare it to March historically. Doesn't mean that April is always going to be softer than March, however. There are things, there are other variables in the environment that can disrupt historical patterns. We have had no more disruptive force in our economic environment than the COVID pandemic era which we are still arguably exiting. So I think that's the thing to really temper any kind of forecast expectations. That's one of the lessons that I think a lot of supply chain professionals learned is that applying history forward isn't always the best thing to do. I mean, when we're coming from a period of real strong stability, economic growth, 2010 to 2015-ish, arguably one of the most stable growth cycles in our recent history for sure right yeah yeah and and 
people continuously want to say, well, that's just how things are going to go back to. Do you think that that's actually something that we can say when we return to normal? That's what normal is? I think in order for that to happen, we have to also look at what the macro uh, environment was during that time frame. And we also had very, very low interest rate environment there that coming out of the Great Recession that we kind of started off in 2009. So we saw a lot of that environment really push a lot of investments that wouldn't have happened in other type of macroeconomic uh, environments. We saw business decisions being made that would have been made in other type of climates from a macro environment standpoint. So I don't think when we have a return to where we were during that time frame, we're going to have the same conditions. So we can get to something similar, but not without, I think, going through a lot of corrections and potential hardships along the way to get to some semblance of that. Yeah. So how much of history would you apply forward here? Like, say, if you said, hey, things have stabilized from the demand side, which arguably is a near term thing. Um, what would you you know, try to what would be some of your takeaways from that stable economic environment and say, OK, what can what have I learned for then that I can apply to that to now? I think a big part is going to be um, short term consumer memories. <laughs> so um, the consumer is always going to be, you know, quick to react or late to react and then have, uh, you know, a strong, um, I think, turning point of like saying, you know what, never again. So we think about 0809, never again will I be in this kind of position. Never again will I put myself in this kind of, you know, potential you know, hardship. And then that kind of memory fades on a back burner a year or two later. Mm -hmm. uh, you think about, of course, the pandemic, you know, a lot of people getting, you know, potentially furloughed, laid off with little to, you know, savings probably to pad them for a long-term period of, of a year or so. Never again will I be in this position. But then, of course, stimulus packages get deployed and now they are, you know, sailing and, and moving on just fine. So I think one of the concepts is going to be the consumer having a short-term memory, but, you know, maybe a rash reaction to things that we can expect to happen um, moving forward when we do have that, you know, semblance of normalization. Um, I think that's going to be a big one. And of course, I think... Uh, businesses looking to maximize efficiency at the uh, expense of potential long-term growth prospects. Oh man, that's a big one right there. The businesses, like that short-term versus near, that long-term uh, growth situation. Like when you, that's arguably been one of the biggest uh, debates in terms of how to manage a business because the financial sector tends to value that 12-month horizon. You know, six to 12 month horizon. What have you done for me lately? Yeah. Because maximizing return, that's their cycle. They, they change their portfolios on that level. They, cause that's their job. Yeah. Their job is to manage things that every day they're looking at the market and company valuations and figure out what do I need to do. And, uh, and the executive incentives, yeah. you know, what are the, what there are the incentives for large corporations, executive teams, if they want to hit those incentives to maximize their take home. They're going to do what they need to do to meet to those goals. And those goals, like like we just said, are going to likely be near term. And maybe they're going to have detrimental effects on the company, you know, five or 10 years on the line when some of those executives don't even anticipate being there anymore. They just like, hey, I'm going to be on the next thing. I'm going to be on the next larger company or the next opportunity. So I'm just here to collect my check for the incentives being put in front of me right now. Yeah. And arguably that's kind of what we're what we've done with the economy. Yeah. Uh, this is called overheating, yeah. and this is the result of overheating. So when you are kind of 
thinking about the near term, the 12 months, you really do need to make a decision on whether or not you're going to, you know, plan for the future, which supply chain operators are getting a chance to do right now. Um, anybody in supply chain, transportation management lately has uh, been able to take a breather, you know, take a breath of fresh air. But arguably, this is the time, uh, as Warren Buffett would put it, for investment. Yeah. Uh, this is where you get your values. Like anybody that's in M&A right now, I've had the question, when do, is M&A going to cool off? No, this is when you need to buy. This yeah. is when valuations go down, that is arguably the best possible time to invest and buy. Now, interest rates going up don't make that as easy of a decision. Uh, I mean, you have to have the cash available and to do that. But uh, arguably, we are still in a state of transition and things are still shaking out. However, Craig Fuller wrote a piece. Uh, our CEO, I like to talk about it when he, when he does this because... Um, very thoughtful when he does it. And when he sees something and feels it, he feels it. Right, right. So uh, he wrote this article. We talked about it on the round table this morning a year ago about the freight market downturn is a year old. So when will it turn around? And he goes on to say quarter three, late quarter three. That's when I expect it to have bottomed. And now we're going to start to see things shake up. What does that mean? However, Anthony Smith is it's not that things are going to just all of a sudden be great again. <laughs> It means that he feels that the market will have stabilized enough, capacity will have eroded out of the market to the point where now you can actually see a little bit of pressure on rates. Right. And the market will have, you know, some semblance of it's not just not going to fall apart anymore. Now, I showed you the chart from my article about the forecast. Right. Forecast takes into account not just historical variables, but upstream variables, imports, uh, and various other things that, you know, are predictive of rates or have been predictive of rates in the past. And those are different components. They're, one's history, one's how related are they? Right. Um, it looks like the spot market has a chance, and I think it's a pretty good chance, of bottoming in April. And two factors there. All the upstream demand variables say demand stable. And then we have seasonal pressure now. So summer volumes a little bit of a floor forming there. And then of course, just the cost component of a carriers is going to keep them from dropping their rates that much further, unless they are pure desperation mode. Yeah, and I think um, we're also talking about that. We have to also keep in mind um, a shift is, you know, a change in direction, a change in the business cycle. It doesn't really also, it doesn't really account for the magnitude. So you can have something bottoming out and now that we're in potentially a recovery trend, doesn't mean that we're going to see rapid or robust spikings back up. It just means that, hey, the direction has stabilized and now we're starting to see maybe a trend upward compared to further downward movement. Yeah. And I, I, I tend to agree with Craig here. I think it'll be late Q3 before we see any significant sustained upward pressure. Like I think, yes, the spot market bottoms in April, but it's, it's still kind of on the ground through the summer. We're going to have our seasonal inflection points around the 4th of July, end of June, uh, end of quarter type stuff, but it won't be sustainable. July is typically pretty soft. August, it, not the best either <laughs> um, related to June. Um, and then Q3 though, that's when arguably we've had enough time to see a lot of this capacity kind of flush itself out. Balance sheets had a lot of buffer on them. All that cash is, is starting to erode away. So I, I think Q3, Q4, even though it may not be like a sharp driving force upward, I think it's definitely going to be more reactive. 
Yeah. And I think the other thing that we um, were talking about throughout the midst of the pandemic was all the capacity entering the market and all these new injuries, um, folks that haven't been through some of the cyclical hardships within the industry. So it'll be difficult for if you're a newcomer mm -hmm. and your first introduction to the market was when you can just, you know, walk into, you know, money and not have to work that hard for it. And you didn't have to think too much about it just opportunity all around you, it's a completely different market now than what you were introduced to, yeah. um, you know, maybe a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, time will tell, but it looks like for now, things are going to be pretty soft. <laughs> uh, you know, supply chain professionals got a few more months for sure. So uh, there is an article that caught my eye. Greg Miller, of course, fantastic coverage of the maritime sector here. This is a yes, it's a maritime article, but I wanted to talk about it in the context of the economy and why things are different now. They're just different. You can't apply 100% of history forward and it's, you're expecting this new normal to form. Well, it won't be new normal, you know, a year from now. <laughs> and it may not be the 2013 that we thought it would be. So Greg Miller writes this article, mixed signals, container shipping, downturn, not following the script. <laughs> so talk about in line with our theme. Uh, and what he was writing about is basically like container freight shipping is just fallen off a cliff. The volumes are down. The rates have fallen off a cliff. If we show the Freytos, the FBXD here, uh, this chart of rates, this is the rates over the last five years. You can see the pandemic. You can pick it out uh, as demand outpaced supply for container shipping. And now we're all the way back, if not below in some instances, rates being where they were prior to the pandemic. And that's after, I mean, you see how high they were, Anthony. Right. That's after they were like, you know, are like 10x of what they were. And now we've come all the way back down. That is volatility to a T. And that is not healthy uh, to have that kind of uh, situation. But his article is not necessarily around rates for shipping, but leasing. So the charters of ships, that market's actually doing okay. Like you would think, okay, we don't need any more boats. Right. Like you can see the rates there. Capacity is already well above demand. However, the indicators are showing that the big three are still buying ships. So new orders are still up. You've got people kind of in the smaller sector still chartering ships. Could be a little bit of de-risking in their supply chain, or they just grown accustomed to having accessibility to these boats. Also, you have the Russia-Ukraine situation. So basically the big uh, shippers or big uh, shipping companies aren't going into Russia so now there's an increased demand of, you know, that shadow fleet, that shadow trade going into Russia because of all the sanctions. Um, and it's just doing better than expected. Yeah. And, and I think that that first point you made goes back to the other point that you made of, of course, the big three are still buying ships and like, you know, the Warren Buffett, uh, you know, um, story around, you know, this is now the time to invest. And looks like that's exactly what they are doing because this is going to be the best time to really put some of those orders in. Yeah. And the big takeaway here, just like what you're saying, is this is not the normal downturn. I want to read a quote here from the article. Usually downturns in cyclical industries and definitely in shipping, transportation, come unexpectedly. We're all surprised uh, and companies are stuck with stretched balance sheets. Here, when we look at the container sector, liners are flush with cash. You could, argue, you could arguably say the same exact thing for a lot of these truckload operators. They had cash coming out of this overheated environment, which has given them the ability to invest. Right. Night Swift bought U.S. Express. 
they didn't they wouldn't have had enough cash probably without COVID to right. do that. Right. Um, so that's the nuance of this environment is that we're not just coming from people making a 93 OR, making five, 7% margins in transportation. We're coming from them making 20 to 30% software money, right? <laughs> uh, operating ratios and profit margins going to an area that's obviously muted, which allows them to invest without as much risk. Exactly. And I mean, that's going to be, I think, the, the theme, of course, as we continue to move throughout the remainder of 2023 and going into 2024 is really being able to set yourself up for long-term mm-hmm. growth and going into the upcoming years and not just looking for that near-term mentality. I think a lot of the companies that are falling by the wayside, potentially we're looking for near-term growth prospects over the last three years and not positioning themselves for the long-term. Yeah, and you have to look at the long-term right now. This this environment, arguably, the most volatile we've ever been in. Yeah. So, and I think there's a, there's a question here, Anthony, about how much do we value specialization over adaptability? Mm-hmm. Most of our economic development has been over specialization over the last several decades. It's like, we're going to develop something that makes everything more streamlined and efficient, and we just operate. <laughs> and, you know, like you just said, we're going to, focus on operating costs. Walmart just came out and said, we're going to focus on cutting our costs and getting that operating efficiency down. Well, that also requires a very stable environment to do that. You can't just say that, you know, we're going to make cars that look like, you know, the same thing all the time. And the consumers out there with options of saying, I can actually go get something that's not a car that transport me faster and more efficiently. That's the trade-off is like, how much do you want to invest in, in something that's always been? Right. You know, you really need to, I think the new opportunities here are in change. Like if you look at the environment we've had, if we just go and say, okay, let's expect everything from the past to move forward. Let's, and we're going to try to go back to the, that way of operating. I think that's fallacy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it, the point around being able to be adaptable is huge and being able to be nimble because when you specialize, which is great, you know, being efficient is, is amazing, but it also makes you vulnerable to potential, you know, interruptions or any kind of uh, disruption for a, hey, this is now a factor. Mm-hmm. Now all that specialization that was put in there that was not leaned into adaptability at all is now completely useless. It's like, all right, this w- we're now no longer able to pivot. So putting funds into it, investing into specialization has its values, but also being able to pivot, I think, is even more valuable than that. Yeah, look at what happened to SVB. Uh, they were very specialized in the tech sector. No deposit accounts. Broke with traditional banking. I, I certainly don't fault them for that. But at the same time, they were leaning too far in one direction. And it overexposed them to a market that we have today. Financial Finance 101, risk reward. Yeah. <laughs> you got to hedge your position, especially if you're an entity like a bank. Like you just can't be like, you can have a super high risk sector, but it cannot drive your business model (laughs) in a, in a fully flushed out industry like that. And, and real quick, while we have a few minutes left here, I got to go over some real quick economic numbers. Um, So the ISM PMI got released showing that we are still in contraction from a manufacturing standpoint, now reading at 46.3. This is a downward movement from the previous reported number of, um, I think it was around two percentage points higher. Might be mistaken on that one. I got to double check on that one. But I did see that the new orders component is now down to 44.3 percentage points, down from 47 percentage points not too long ago. And we also have backlogs of orders down to 43.9. So 
also seeing contraction there. A big story here is that we got a seasonal adjustment to one of my favorite weekly numbers in the labor market, and that is for initial jobs claims. Oh. So what we saw, of course, throughout the last- This is the stronghold of the economy. Stronghold of the economy here, and one that we've been suspicious of for quite some time. Um, the, the numbers that we've been seeing were under 200,000. After the seasonal adjustment that's been put in, which is massive, we're now seeing that there are 228 initial jobs claims. And this is down from the week before of 242,000. So this is a substantial revision here. So, I mean, are we are we going into a recession, Anthony? I mean, this, this looks like you just gave me the ISM, industrial sector contracting, not a lot of production, not a lot of new orders. Yeah. People are unemployed right. more. Like, where's your, where's your figure on the IJC? So I, I think, of course, you know, looking at 242 or 228, it's not in that um, red zone just yet. Um, but where we're seeing job opening time coming down, where we're seeing initial jobs claims, you know, trending upwards overall, it, it definitely doesn't paint a good picture for those consumers that are sitting on some of the lowest savings rates that we haven't seen since 2009 and credit card utilization that continues to go up and buy now, pay later dependency increasing over the years. So. I don't want to. I don't, I don't no. want to buy into like the the fear mongering component of things, but I mean, there's a lot of cracks. There's a lot of cracks, and you have to be, I think, more mindful for the potential downsides instead of trying to be hopeful for. Hey, this is what we have now. Prepare for the worst case scenario, and yeah. that yeah. is a pretty bad scenario there that's being painted out. Adaptability. You know, keep, keep investing in it. I mean, you gotta. You, you know, not everything's predictable. Except. For the